Good morning. Welcome. Greetings in your Savior's name to each of you. It's good to be together to worship again. What's more beautiful than a rain on the roof while we sit in a warm church and worship together? Worship the Lord. Seek an interest in your prayers again this morning as we share it together. Brother Keith, do you mind if I make just a comment or two on our discussion? As he was leading in our discussion, I thought, well, maybe we're sitting here thinking, well, that sounds heavy. Why do we need all these rules? And what's it for? Let me read you some verses. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might cleanse, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. He might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It should be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ is coming back for a perfect, pure bride. And we want to love each other so much, we do everything we can to make sure that we're all in that bride. And that's why we are brotherhood. Praise God. One other thing he shared, more on the humorous side, about different personalities. I'd never seen that before either. Remind me of the time I'd went away for a week of revivals. And good friend, brother, was taking me back to the airport, and we were exchanging the usual cliches. You know, we enjoyed meeting each other and learning new congregation. And he said something I wasn't expecting. He said, uh, "Yeah, I appreciated your ministry here." He said, uh, "Your style's a little different, but it's, it's okay. It's all right." And uh, part of me really wanted to say, "What do you mean by that?" The other part of me said, "You know, sometimes it's better leave a sleeping dog last." So. That dog's still asleep. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we learn a lot as we go through. I'm not saying this in any way negative. I appreciate it. I'm glad people feel free to do it, and I hope they continue to. But I think I've had at least four times people have told me directly or indirectly that they really like the way I preach. And uh, and there for a while, I mean, I really tried to, to be different and, you know, be gentle and not be myself, and, and eventually I figured out that saying about the old southern preacher is right. He said, if you is who you ain't, then you ain't who you is, and if you ain't who you is, you is who you ain't. And I figured out that I just can't is be who I ain't. <laughs> so anyway, it's a blessing. Welcome your input in our lives. Anyone remember what I preached on the last time I was here on a Sunday morning? Well, don't feel bad. I've asked people to dinner table ready, and we couldn't remember what it was about. So that's what inspires us to keep studying. First Corinthians 13, remember? The title was A Letter to a Struggling Church. And we looked at First Corinthians 13 in the context that I believe it's written in, although it's applicable to other relationships, it primarily is applicable to the relationship of each other in the body of Christ. And that's how we're supposed to. Now, you don't have to turn there because we're not going to be there today, but I'm just referring back to that to give us a foundation for, to move forward today. But 1 Corinthians 13 gives us the foundation on how to relate to each other in the body of Christ so that what we're talking about here this morning, Brother Keith, works. If we don't love each other, it's not going to work very good. But we love each other, it work beautifully. Anyway, so this morning we move forward from that and... Today's lesson, well, I guess I have written down here, I don't know if you've ever looked at my what, the little saying under my WhatsApp status, but it says this, we can never separate what God has done for us from what God is doing in us. 
And I like that. We can never separate what God has done for us from what God is doing in us. You know, we can wax eloquent in our debates about atonement and everything that went on on the cross and all that, and I'm probably as guilty as anybody because I'm pretty passionate about what I believe happened there. But if that's as far as we go, we're really missing something because that was just, <laughs> no, just, that was the momentous event that translated us from lost to saved, all right? <laughs> but it was just the beginning. And what goes on from that point forward, I believe, is very important as well. Called a friend this morning, Mark Gaiman, chatted with him just to refresh my memory on this. Uh, most of you know, some of you may know who Mark is. He's preached here before us. He grew up River Brother, went to teach school in the Mennonite school, and met a young Mennonite lady and joined her church and married her. And he got married when he was 20, got ordained when he was 21. And he was still trying to learn what Mennonites are, and he was suddenly ordained to become their leader. And I really appreciate him as a friend, but I wanted to back up and talk to him a bit about what I thought was true about his childhood. And the River Brethren, they don't have Sunday school, but they have an hour of testimonies every Sunday. And I asked him, I said, well, how's it work? He said, one of the ministers gets up and has a brief devotional, and they sing a hymn or two, and then they open it up, and they have their a testimony committee that conducts the service, just like our superintendents. And he said people just speak up, and one of them will say, well, let's sing hymn number so-and-so. And then they get done, they'll say, what happened this week that blessed them and how that hymn spoke to their heart and life? And they do that for one hour every Sunday. And I said, well, do you hear from everybody? Keep track. The superintendents kind of keep track, and if there's some people they haven't heard from recently, they'll say, okay, bench number five. Let's Y'all get to share testimonies this Sunday. But he said the good thing is, is over the course of a year, you, you have like a, you feel like you understand where all your brothers and sisters in the church are at in their pilgrimage and their walk with God. I kind of like that. Oh, don't get worried. Oh, but anyway, I like that. I do. So this morning's message is pretty much that. It's a continuation. I said last, son, last time I preached here that I know I have been guilty of not being the member or the leader that always members or leads out of that love that's exemplified in 1 Corinthians 13. And God has spoke to me about that, and I'm just going to be really open this morning in sharing my testimony of what the Lord's been speaking to me in my heart and life and that's what I have to share this morning. It's about me and my journey. And I hope you can be blessed as you see what the Lord has been showing me. Foundational to that is the last two ministers' study weeks I went to. Brother John Swartz spoke at both of them, and he spoke on the same subject at both of them, or at least he mentioned it in one, spoke more at the other one. He, has, he sees a distinct difference between the role in the ministry of an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament shepherd. And that set me on a study. Is he right or is he not right? I invite you to travel with me on my journey. Ezekiel 3, you don't need to turn to these because I'll be done reading before you get there. Ezekiel 3, 7 through 9. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. This is God speaking to Ezekiel and telling me this is what his ministry is to be like. But the house of Israel will not hearken to thee. For they will not hearken unto me, for all the house of Israel are impotent and hard-hearted. 
Behold, I've made thy face, I made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead as strong as their foreheads. And adamant harder than flint, I've made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. How's that as a, a commission for ministry? So these people aren't going to listen to you. They're hard-headed. And I'm just going to make you even more hard-headed than they are, so you won't give up. And there's other passages we could have turned to that was similar, but I won't. But there are also similarities between the Old Testament prophet and the New Testament shepherd. Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11 says, O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Judah Behold your God. Behold, the Lord will come with a strong hand, and his arm's reward is with him, and his work is before him. Now notice the New Testament. Uh, implication in verse 11. And he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. There's a lot of New Testament in the, in the prophet Isaiah as well. Now let's move to the New Testament and think about Jesus. In the Old Testament, the people didn't listen the prophets were told they're not going to listen to you, but you just have to keep hammering out the message. Ezekiel 33 says that if you preach and they don't listen, you're free from their blood. But if you don't preach and they're lost, it's on your hands. And John challenges from that passage. He said, let's not apply that to our New Testament in all the situations. There may be difference there. And so that's why I said on this study. Matthew 6, 34 says this, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus comes out, here comes the multitude. And Jesus didn't look at them and say, here comes those stiff-necked, hard-headed, flint-headed people. Jesus looked at them, and it said he was moved with compassion. Jesus Christ, our shepherd, the chief shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep, was moved with compassion because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Isn't that beautiful? A shepherd just loving his sheep, and he begins to teach them. He begins to minister to their needs. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. That's Jesus. That's our chief shepherd that we're called to be under shepherds like him. And Jesus went about the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You think you're busy. <laughs> And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Same words, again. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he to his disciples, The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Jesus Christ, he looked out over the multitudes and he said, Here are sheep. 
They're scattering. They don't have a shepherd. Disciples, look at the harvest. The fields are ripe. These sheep need to be brought into the fold. Pray ye therefore, Lord of the harvest, he will send forth laborers into the field. You start to feel the little difference between the Old Testament and New Testament heart. He was moved with compassion. Let's go to Matthew 18 together. Yeah, I'm impressed with Matthew 18. <laughs> There's just a lot of good instruction in Matthew 18. We think of Matthew 18, we always think about the brotherly address. There's a lot more than that in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, this time verses 10 and following. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Here again, Jesus, heart of compassion, looking on the needy ones. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of thy Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. And now a story. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be going astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is going astray? And if, be, if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. <laughs> and in the next verse is what we call Matthew 18, how we relate to each other in a brotherly address. Just stop with me for a few moments and let's, let's think about this. Jesus is saying that the heart of the shepherd doesn't ever want to lose one sheep to the wolf. He doesn't ever want that stray sheep not to be brought back. And when that one straying sheep is brought back, the rejoicing is greater than all the whole 99 that are safe within the fold. That has been a challenging thought for me. Do I have that heart for sheep? Not one should perish. John 10. John 10. And what does this message teach us about the relationship between sheep and shepherds? And let's remember, the sheep belong to Jesus, all right? The great shepherd of sheep, he purchased them with his blood. Hebrews says this, Now the God of peace which brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The great shepherd of the sheep. John 10, verses 1 through 18. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him. 
for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake unto them, but they understood not what things he was that he spake unto them. I'll stop there. Let's dissect these first few verses before we go on. Jesus is not only the shepherd of the sheepfold, he is the door. Through he and he alone can we enter into the fold. And if anyone tries to get into the fold some other way, he said he's a thief and a robber. Notice in verses 3 and 5, and this will continue to develop through this chapter, the relationship between sheep and shepherd. To him the porter openeth. To who does he open? The shepherd. Anyone know what a porter is? All right, they had these stone fences, and they had these sheep folds. And when they would bring these sheep in from the hillside from grazing through the day, they'd bring them in at night. There would be porters there, there would be guards there, and there would be a door to get into the sheepfold, and the sheep was a, was a safe place for sheep. And they'd all put their sheep in there, and the shepherd would go home and get some rest, and the porter would set up all night and watch the door. Okay? So Jesus said, when I come in, the porter openeth for me. Sorry, the next morning. When Jesus comes the next morning to take his sheep back out to pasture, this is how it worked. The shepherd would walk up to the entrance of the sheepfold, and he would call his sheep by name. They would stand up from amongst the flocks, and they would come and follow him out. Why? Because they knew the shepherd's voice. The next shepherd from northeast Galilee would come in, and he'd call his sheep. They'd follow him. Sheep followed his voice. Isn't that beautiful, parallel, how that works in the church? Should work in the church. Hopefully it's working in our church. We know his voice. He calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. You know God is calling us by name to lead us. Do we know his voice? Can we distinguish his voice through the Spirit when he calls us? And he reaches out to lead us. Verse 4, And when he has brought out all his sheep, <laughs> he goes on ahead of him, ahead of them. Okay? Jesus leads the way. He goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We follow him because we know his voice. Do we know his voice? Now verse 5. But a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. There's probably a whole message in that one verse. As sheep, I caution us about listening to other voices. When this was written, you had to be within the range of the horn to hear a voice. We live in a day where we can hear many voices all day long. And their voices coming from strangers. They're coming from people we don't know who they are. We don't know their character. We don't know their intent. We don't know if they're just saying what they're saying because they're making a living running their mouths on Podbean because they don't want to work. We don't know that. We don't know them. Don't follow strangers. 
It doesn't, say, it doesn't just say they won't follow a stranger. It says they will flee from him. And I've never dealt too much with sheep, but I get the picture of a group of sheep with their little tails in there, and they're going the opposite direction because they just heard a strange voice. Brothers and sisters, may that be our experience, that we raise up and run the other direction. Rise up. That'd be a better. One. Yeah, rise up and run the other direction when we hear a strange voice. It says, they do not know the voice of strangers. How do you not learn the voice of strangers? Probably by not listening to them. Be careful about the voices that we allow to speak into our lives. Jesus said, Jesus spoke this parable, and they didn't understand it. I'll keep reading. Verse 7, and, they, and Jesus said to them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. <laughs> Keith talked about staying saved. Isn't that a blessed experience? Going in and out and having pasture, having sustenance, being nourished with the Savior. Now a contrast in verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Abundant life in Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 11, I've seen this all my life, but I've seen it in a new way this time when I was looking at it. The good shepherd giveth, E-T-H, his life for the sheep. You know what that means in the King James? That means it's a continual, ongoing, never-ending action. The shepherd is giving his life every day for the sheep, all day. The purpose of his life is to give his life for the sheep for their well-being, for their growth, for their maturity, for their health, for their well-being. He giveth his life for the sheep all day long. And then he switches to someone who's working for wages. But he that is a hireling, someone who's just working for wages, is not invested in the sheep, and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling, and he careth not for the sheep. Jesus told his disciples in his ministry, he said, I am sending you forth as sheep among wolves. In fact, there's, there's multiple times in the Scriptures that we see the connection between sheep and wolves. Wolves were the most dangerous predator, some believe, writers believe, that, that the wolf would have been the most dangerous predator to a flock of sheep. And Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them out as under-shepherds, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Be wise as, well, I'm drawing a blank on it, serpents and Thank you. Harmless as doves. Wise as serpents, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Thank you. Because you're going out there. What is a wolf? Studied on that. It is believed that a wolf was anything. What, what did Jesus mean when he used the word wolf? 
He didn't say sin. He didn't say specific. He said a wolf. What was Jesus saying? Bible scholars believe that he was using the word wolf to indicate anything that would harm the flock and inhibit the abundant life of growth under the chief shepherd. Any work of Satan, anything that divides the flock. Do you ever read Scripture and then you start to argue with God a little? Say, I don't like what you're telling me. But then he tells you, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I argued with God on this one. I said, God, but, but what if there's sin there? But God, what if the wheels are falling off? And God said, you remember Jonah? He went the wrong direction. Didn't work out. God said, you remember Isaiah? I had him walk around naked for three years. Do you remember Jeremiah? That man with flint? They put him in a slime pit. They had to put rags under his arms and ropes, suck him out of the muck. I didn't let him off. You remember Hosea? I told Hosea to go out and take a wife of harlotry and to live with that woman in front of all the people as the man of God. And that woman was unfaithful to her husband. She wasn't just unfaithful. She went down, many Bible scholars believe from the way it's written, she went down and made herself a prostitute at the Baal temple. And you know what God had Hosea do? The Bible says he bought her back for 12 pieces of silver and an omer and a half of barley. You see, it's believed that when them women would get so yucky nobody wanted them anymore, they'd take them to an auction block sell them as slaves. The man of God went down there and bought his wife back. Why did he do that? Because God requires his, his messengers to model the message they preach. And he calls us to do the same. And I quit arguing with God. Because I said, yeah, you're right, God. There's no way out. When you call, it's for life. I believe there's one exception to that. At the Sharon Congregation in Pennsylvania, where Ivan Weaver's from, that preached at my ordination. They had an ordination here some years ago, and they ordained a young man, his lovely wife, the office of deacon, and she had a stroke. She became incapacitated. She's in a wheelchair. Her husband has to wait on her every need, and he couldn't do it. And the church came together and said, we ordain another deacon, and he'll walk beside you, and he'll help you. And I forget what happened, but something happened to that deacon. I think they had to do it again. But you see... They promised to care for their spouses, and I believe that's the one commitment that will at times could possibly call us away from ministry. God didn't let me up on this one. And I said, but, but what? What if the wheels are falling off? And I went back the next day and I read it again. And I read verse 14. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. The Lord told me, if the wheels are falling off, you probably don't know your sheep, and they probably don't know you. And I believe that. And he went on to say in verse 15, he says, As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I believe that verses 14 and 15 fit together, and verse 15 is the explanation of verse 14. Verse 14 says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. And then he helps us understand that. He says, it's just like my relationship with the Father. We're one. We know each other completely. We know each other completely. I lay down my life for the sheep. He didn't say, I have or I will. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what I do. That's who I am. Let's look at verse 14 again. You remember when Moses and God had their little uh, discourse out by the burning bush, and uh, Moses was arguing with God like I want to do, and they said, but who do I tell him sent me? He said, you tell him that I am sent you. Do you catch that in verse 14? I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Not I was and not I will be, but I eternally, I eternally am. God eternally is. And he is who he is, and he's not who he ain't. He is. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I'm known of mine. You see, he's referring back to when he walks up to the stone gate before the porter, and he says, come, Lacey and Lassie and whatever, and they run to him. He said, I'm known of mine. They know me that way. You see, most of us have had nights where we toss and turn and our beds feel hard. We wonder, can we go on? But Jesus says, I called you. Keep on keeping on. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Relationship. Oh, I missed a verse. Verse 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. You see, in Jesus Christ there is perfect unity. And if we don't have that, should we be concerned? In Jesus Christ... There's one fold. There's one shepherd. There's one purpose. There's one goal. And Jesus is telling us now in verse 17, very personal, he says, Therefore, 
Well, what's the therefore therefore? The therefore is there for all the verses we just looked at. And he said, because I lay down my life for the sheep, because I give continually, because I bring unity, because on and on. My Father loves me. And because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Because I'm giving my life. No, God's love for Jesus wasn't conditional. <laughs> but this was part of it. That he laid down his life and he might take it again. Therefore, with my Father love me. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of the Father. Do we want the Father's love in our lives? Maybe that verse is in there to challenge us. Do we want the Father's love in our lives? We need to lay down our life. And we need to let Him take it up again and direct it. Romans 6. I can hardly stay out of that passage when I preach. Romans 6. We're buried with him in baptism, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, we can be raised to newness of life. We have to lay it down so God can take it up and make it useful. It isn't always easy. I was reminded of that again when Keith was teaching us this morning. Things don't always go the way I wish it did. But we have to keep on. Take it up again. In the past 22 years, I've been involved in numerous conversations between preachers. It goes kind of like this. I told you I was being personal, okay? Why doesn't preaching seem to have more effect on people's lives? And as I studied this, I felt like an answer started to come through. As I studied this, the subject hit me that the answer may be in these verses that sheep follow a voice that they know and they trust. Sheep follow a voice that they know and trust. Maybe too often I've preached from the Old Testament perspective of having a hard head and saying, this is how it is. Instead of the New Testament shepherd who gently leads and carries in his arms. Do we love Jesus, our shepherd, so much that we would never do anything to disappoint him or to hurt his flock? Remember someone told me years ago, this early Christian, when I first became a Christian, had a real impact on my way of thinking. He said that when he is tempted to sin, in his mind he tries to visualize Jesus hanging on the cross, looking at him with eyes of compassion. And he said, that helps him overcome temptation. Because he said, I don't want to hurt my Savior. Do we love our Savior so much we never do anything that would disappoint him or hurt his sheep? Do we love each other so much that we're willing to do whatever is best for the whole flock? What does that look like? John 21. John 21. 
I have a problem. I left my implied Bible at home. Can I borrow yours, please? Intended to have my Bible amplified up here under the pulpit, and I forgot to do that. I'm going to read John 21, verses 15 through 22 through the Amplified. And we're looking at what does the New Testament shepherd look like. John 21, verse 15. You know the setting. Peter denied Christ three times. He went out and wept bitterly. He went fishing. Out with his buddies, done what he did. Here comes Jesus fixed fish for them, and they came in to the shore, he fed them. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Others do, with reasoning, intellect, intentional spiritual devotion, as one loves a father. And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I have a deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. Peter wouldn't go quite so far as to use the same word Jesus used. And he, Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He said, Peter, you big tough guy, you red-faced sailor, just humble yourself and go out and feed some lambs. Peter, feed lambs if you love me. Verse 16, again, Jesus said unto him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion as one loves the Father? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Deep, instinctive, personal affection for you as for a close friend. And Jesus said unto him, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. You know, that's the messy part. That's catching up the lice and bugs and picking them out and putting tar on them and, and taking care of the one that's sick. That's not feeding. It's a different word here. It's tending. He's saying, Peter, if you need, you have to be willing to get involved. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a deep, instinctive personal affection for me as for a close friend. And Peter was grieved and saddened and hurt that he should ask him the third time, do you love me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you and that I have a deep instinctive view as for a close friend. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Peter, give the sheep spiritual nourishment. Get down there and and relate to the lambs. Get out there amongst the flock when they're sick and tend them. Get involved. Get your hands dirty. But Peter, feed them from the Word of God if you love me. And he told Peter something else that I'm humored by. Peter said, well, he wanted to tell Peter how he was going to die. And Peter said, well, Lord, what about John over here? And Jesus said this, If I want him to stay, survive, and live till I come, what is that to you? What concern of that is yours? You follow me. Jesus said, Peter, you just do what I asked you to do, and I am big enough to take care of John. Okay? I don't have to, you don't have to fix John. You know, you follow me. 
I wrote in my notes, Peter, mind your business and follow me. Let's go back to 1 Peter 5. I love the books, the writings of Peter, because as I read the writings of Peter, I keep seeing the words of Jesus that Jesus spoke into his life being transmitted out of his writing to us. Where do you think Peter learned, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at due time? <laughs> there is experiences with Jesus, right? 1 Peter 5. Amplified Bible again. Verse 1, And I warn and counsel the elders among you, the pastors and spiritual guides of the church, as a fellow elder and as an eyewitness called to testify of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a share in the glory, honor, and splendor that is to be revealed and disclosed and unfolded. Tend, nurture, guard, guide, and fold the flock of God that is your responsibility, not by coercion or constraint, but willingly, not dishonestly motivated by the advantages and profits of belonging to the office, but eagerly and cheerfully. Peter took what Jesus taught him there on the sea, was it Galilee? And he, he expounds on it here for us and said, this is how you live it out. And let me say this. I meant to say this at the very beginning of the, of the message. We're all shepherds in some way. If you're a young person, there's little children looking up to you. If you're a parent, you're shepherding your children. If you're an older person, the, the, the younger ones are looking to you for inspiration. Faithful. We are all shepherds in some way some guard in some regard or another. And he says, tend, nurture, guard, guide, and, and take care of the fold. That is your responsibility, and don't do it just because you have to get in there and be cheerful and be willing. And then he gives us a bit more direction. Not domineering, not so much like some of the Old Testament prophets, <laughs> not domineering, not arrogant or dictatorial, or, or like a dictator, not like an overbearing person over those in your charge, but being an example, a pattern, and a model of Christian living to the flock and the congregation. In verse 4, And then when the chief shepherd is revealed, you will win the conqueror's crown of glory. So dear people, that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. And all of us in some aspect or another in the life of the church to tend and to encourage the sheep. Because we all want to someday be standing before the chief shepherd and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and come in and take the conqueror's crown of glory together because we love each other and we want to all get there together. I'll close with this story. One more thing, my notes I missed. In John 1 verses 48 through 50, you know what that's about? This young man came to Jesus. His name was Nathaniel. And Jesus said, there's a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. You want to know what the name guile means? It's a Greek word, doulos. It means he's not double. It doesn't mean that there's no sin in him. That means that man is real through and through, and what you see is what you get. He's always the same.
And I covet that testimony for my life. Always being the same to everyone. I'll conclude with this story. It's told years ago. Amos Hurst may know it better than I do. James Hurst told it. He said there was a congregation somewhere, I think in the Old West somewhere, and they had the pastor, and it was the congregation's responsibility to support the pastor. And they had fallen on hard times, and they realized they couldn't support the pastor anymore. He had to go. He had to leave. He had to move. The congregation got together one day, and they had their team and their wagon there, and the pastor's team and wagon, and they helped him carry all the furniture out of the house and set up. He was getting ready to leave. And they started saying their goodbyes, and they got so emotional that they realized they couldn't do it. So they carried all the furniture back in the house and said, we don't know how the Lord's going to work it out, but we're going to support you because we love you too much to let you go. And I want to be part of a church like that. It was awesome.